Pastor Xavier Reese with an all-new perspective for combating the old sinful nature. Because I no longer live for sin, I will experience suffering in this physical flesh. And everything in this world lives for flesh and the system of evil. And therefore the perspective is that I suffer because there is a war for the lust against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, Galatians 5.17 says. And I need to understand that. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Why does a wise and loving God permit His children to suffer? This is a question that gets asked by believers and non-believers alike in times of tragedy or hardship. And the simple truth is, God has a very direct answer for why there is suffering in the world. In a teaching from 1 Peter chapter 4, Pastor Xavier explains that God has in fact several purposes for the tribulation believers in particular suffer. Let's listen. The life of a Christian is a paradox, for it is a call to a life of suffering, and at the same time it is said to be a life of abundant life. And as you study the scriptures and you travel through life through the years, you find out that it's only one of many seeming paradoxes in Scripture. The Bible says that you have eternal life and yet you're going to die physically. The Bible says that you're more than a conqueror and yet sometimes you feel like you're so defeated. The Bible says that your sins are forgiven and yet you can remember them. Tremendous paradox. The life of suffering is no exception. And I think sometimes Christians, because they don't understand suffering from a biblical perspective, they suffer without understanding. And so I pray this morning that as we look to these six verses, that we would have a better understanding about our sufferings in Christ Jesus. Let me give you a promise. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. That was Paul's proclamation to the new converts in Asia Minor in the first missionary journey. That's a promise. The life of Christ is a life of suffering. Now we get thrown off course because we live in the Western world. And we don't see that much physical suffering. And we certainly don't hear it from the pulpit. All we hear is name it and claim it, health and wealth and if you're not living like that, then you don't have faith. But that's not a biblical gospel. So the promise is that we must go through many tribulations to enter the kingdom of God. That's a promise. Now let me give you the privilege. For to you it has been granted in behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His name's sake. Philippians 1.29 what was Paul when he was writing this? He was in the Philippian jail. The Philippians were concerned about him and they wrote. And he writes back and says, listen, don't worry about me. I'm here by appointment. By the way, the kingdom of God is furthering and some of the praetorium guard of Caesar's household say hi. <laughs> the epistle of the Philippians, known as the epistle of joy in his sufferings. He says, I don't want to know anything but Christ and his suffering and his fellowship. 
You see, this is the gospel of Christ. We don't hear much of that throughout the church today, which should really cause our ears to perk up, to recognize that much that is going on in the church today is far removed from the biblical perspective. And we need to search the scriptures. Peter tells these saints that the believer's sufferings are due to their righteous living. This is the context. Verse 1, he says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in licentiousness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regards to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. As I said, the context of suffering for righteousness' sake. The division of suffering begins in chapter 3, verse 13, where he says, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? And there's a transition from submission to suffering. The three divisions, salvation, submission, suffering. Look at verse 16 and 17. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile you or your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. But the key verse that it centers on is verse 18. Christ our example. Listen. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Then he gives us a parenthetical section from verse 19 on to 22 that explains Christ's death, his descension, his ascension, and he picks up again and comes to the conclusion in verse 1 of chapter 4. Now, here's the application. First thing we notice the pattern. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh. Christ is our pattern. The word therefore, once again, points back to the preceding passages that we've looked at, centering on verse 18. That Christ died in a physical body to atone the sins of the world. And thereby bringing us to God. He died the just. For the unjust. He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that. He is a propitiation for our sins, and not only for our own sins, but for the whole world. 1 John 2.2 2 tells us. When we were without strength, He died for the ungodly. Romans 5.6 tells us. And so Christ is our pattern for suffering in this life. Now, our sufferings do not atone for any of our sins, nor for any sins for anyone else. The parallel here is in physical and spiritual 
suffering, not in the atonement. And thereby, when we have identified ourselves with Christ, then we have identified ourselves with His sufferings. Now, as I said, in the Western church here in the United States, it is an experience that we are so sadly bankrupt in. I do not know anything about physical suffering. I think there are some Americans who have experienced physical suffering for the gospel and for righteous living, but I think there are few of us, not many of us. Paul the Apostle told the Colossians in Colossians 1.24 that he rejoiced in his sufferings, filling up in his own flesh what was lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of the body, his church. Now, Paul is not saying that he is continuing to suffer for Christ to fill up the atonement. What he is saying is that now since he is a Christian, he has identified himself with Christ and therefore he automatically, whether he wants to or not, he is identified with the world with his sufferings. And that since Christ is no longer physically present in the world and we are the only representation of Christ in the world, Therefore, they're going to bring the physical persecution on us because Christ is not present. But if Christ was present, they would continue to persecute Him. And so the sufferings that we experience is because of our identity with Jesus Christ. He's the pattern. Now, who are we to think that Christ suffered in the flesh, in a physical body, and that we will not suffer in the flesh? Who is bold enough to say, I believe that? You would never convince the Iron Curtain Church of that. You would be strongly opposed if you would be able to preach that to the first century church. It's just not biblical. As a matter of fact, Jesus Christ said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 verses 10 through 12 that you're blessed if you're persecuted for righteousness sake because you're in good company so they persecuted the prophets now we experience this to an extent maybe not physically and sometimes to an extent where you work you know maybe you stand for righteousness sake and and, and people know you're a Christian and everybody rips off from the company you know they take a pen here they take a hydraulic jack here. They take a couple of things. They say, well, you know, they'll never miss them. They write them off anyway. And you used to do that also. And now you don't. And therefore, you receive repercussion. And the very same group you ran with now runs against you. Maybe your family. You've come to Christ. They're very religious. And you receive persecution because you stand for Christ. And you won't go along with the idolatrous worship that you were brought up in. You won't go along with the humanistic philosophy which you were brought up in. But you made a stand for Christ for truth. And you said white is white and black is black. And you receive persecution from your family. I experienced that. It's heavy when it's from your own family. And so Christ is our pattern. Then the proclamation, he says, arm yourselves with the same mind. The picture is that of a soldier who is putting on his armor and picking up his weapons. 
Throughout the scripture, this is a metaphor that is used throughout. In Ephesians 6, 10, and 11, it says, Finally, my brethren, put on the Lord and be strong in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. Put on the might of God. Put on the armor of God. Put on His strength. Timothy says, or Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 2, that endure hardness as a good soldier. And so we are to see ourselves as soldiers of the cross. Secondly, we are to put on or be armed with this mind, which is that we are in a spiritual warfare. We're not only soldiers of the cross, but we are in a spiritual warfare, not physical. I think too often we forget and we think that it's just physical and we fall prey to the enemy. It is a spiritual warfare for Paul even says in Ephesians 6.12, We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and dominions of darkness that set themselves in high places. When I was over in Scotland, we had a little encounter with a drunk on the street. There was a physical encounter, but it was spiritual. I tell you, this trip, Satan was after me so much. God's been so faithful in 16 years. I was always in hassles and everything else all my life. Always fighting, always. And God has been so faithful. And yet this trip, I'll tell you, Satan was after me. Over there in Scotland, I mean, just to just go for it. I got off the plane. I've got all these luggages. I'm coming out. Trudy's there. And we're walking out there. And X is next to me. And this big old guy comes by and says, excuse me, and pushes X. And I got in the place. I said, excuse you. I said, don't push him. And he's walking away. And he just turns around and says, shut up. And I go, don't push him. And it was just like a big smile, you know, says, come on. (laughs) That's incredible. But it was spiritual. And sometimes we get caught up with the physical. We go, oh man, you know, and Satan grabs us. And we forget that it's spiritual, man. I mean, it's being manifested in a physical way, but the source is spiritual. Because Satan knows who you are. And he wants you to to get caught up with the physical so you can do what? So you can put down your weapons. You can put down your armor and say, okay, let's go for it, toe to toe. But it's not physical. (laughs) It's a spiritual warfare. Arm yourself with this mind. Thirdly, we must see that the only thing that can be used is spiritual weapons. This is the mind that he's talking about. You remember Jesus Christ when He came to John the Baptist? He used three weapons. Mark them well. Luke tells us, and he's the only gospel, that Jesus was praying before His baptism. First, He began with prayer. That was His beginning weapon. If you do not begin your day with prayer and time with the Lord, you're going to get knocked out during the day. You need to spend time with the Lord in prayer. You need to have a time to wait upon the Lord before you leave that home. Sometimes you may oversleep or some emergency will come up and you can talk to the Lord on the freeway. That's fine. And that doesn't mean you can't do that. But you should have that time when you begin with prayer. And you realize that you are vulnerable, you are weak, you are defenseless unless you put on that armor before you leave. Secondly, as he was praying, the Spirit descended upon him and he was filled with the Spirit of God. God help us if we think that we can be victorious or even stand a chance without the Spirit of God. That we think that we are sufficient in our own might, our own experience, our own ability. 
That's exactly what Satan wants to do. He came to Eve. He says, hey, has God said? She goes, yeah, God said. She didn't discern the warfare. She didn't discern it was spiritual. And she began to deal with it on a physical level. And so Satan comes to us and he says, has God said you're saved? Did he forgive you for those sins? Yep. But see, the third weapon was the word. Every time Satan came to Jesus, Jesus says, it is written. So you have prayer, the spirit, and the word. Now Satan will come to you and he will attack your mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4-5 through 5 says that our weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but spiritual, bringing down the strongholds of the enemy. Listen, that come against the knowledge of God. Now, we embrace the forgiveness of God willingly, openly. I mean, that God forgave me for everything. Oh, Lord, you're so good. I never even think twice about saying, well, Lord, did you assure you that? You know, I just embrace it. But then how about others? How about my wife? How about my husband? If I'm a woman. (laughs) How about my friend? How about my brother? How about my sister? And Satan comes and he puts certain things in your mind. And you know that if you think it through and identify it as a spiritual attack, then you will resort to bring it into captivity and say, not so. But when we don't identify it as spiritual, we start dealing on it with a physical way, and we start thinking about it, we start running with it, we start tossing it. By the time we're down the road, we're bitter, we're angry, we're resentful, we're in the flesh, we're ready to go. And yet, if we identify it as spiritual, we see that it is against the knowledge of God. And it happens all the time because Christians do not identify The warfare, that it's spiritual. This is the proclamation. Arm yourselves with the same mind. If Jesus suffered physically because of the spiritual attack, you will suffer physically because of spiritual attack. You can add hurt to your physical suffering because you don't identify the spiritual suffering. Jesus gave all kinds of examples. He says, don't worry about what you're going to eat tomorrow. Don't worry about what you're going to dress. Look at the lilies. Look at the birds. Now, if you center on the physical, hey, you're going to get ulcers. You're going to get gray hair. You're going to get gallstones. You're going to die. Now, we're all going to die, but you're just going to die a little sooner. And we need to identify the spiritual attack. And when we don't, it hurts. And we run with it for 10 minutes. We run with it with a day. We run with it a week. We run with it a month. And all of a sudden we notice and we go, Ah, he got me again. Because I deal with it on a physical level instead of a spiritual level. I need to arm myself with the same mind. Now the proclamation is interesting. He says, For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Or actually the perspective. This is a tremendous perspective. Listen to that. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. This is the third principle. You see, the reason I suffer physically 
is because I have come a point in my life where I no longer live for sin. And there's a warfare going on. When we were in the world, we just went for it. No big deal. No warfare. But now there's a warfare going on. Both times, the word flesh in verse 1 refers to the physical body. But notice at the end he says, you have ceased from sin, a life of sin, in this body. And so one of the reasons why I suffer in the flesh is because I no longer live for sin. There's nothing inherently sinful with this flesh, this body. That's a Greek concept. That matter is evil. The body is evil. The body is not evil. It's my sin nature. If I put my hand in a glove and I give you the peace sign, and then if I give you another sign, I cannot blame the glove. It's the hand that's in the glove. The body is not evil. It's my sin nature. And so I understand because I no longer live for sin, I will experience suffering in this physical flesh. I'm a pilgrim. I'm a sojourner. I'm passing through. And everything in this world lives for flesh and the system of evil. And I no longer do so. And therefore the perspective is that I suffer because there is a war for the lust against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, Galatians 5.17 says. And I need to understand that. Now, he gives you the negative in verse 2. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men. The word flesh here in the context means now sinful nature. No longer do I live for my sinful impulses. This is the negative which really turns out to be a positive in my life. I no longer live the rest of my life in the passions of the flesh, in the impulses that are sinful. Why? Because I'm born again. And so that in itself brings a warfare. Because I know the mind of God, I know the will of God, I know the purposes of God, but I also still have sin nature that wants to rule over my life. But I'm no longer subject to it. Before I was in the world, I could do what I wanted. Before when I was in the world, I said what I wanted. But now that I'm in Christ, I can't do that. I still have the ability. But the knowledge that I have and the ability that I have doesn't allow me to do it with a peaceful conscience. <laughs> it accuses me. When I was in the world, I could do nothing but sin. Now that I'm in the Lord, I have the ability not to sin. It's like my glasses are being adjusted. These glasses are about two prescription old. All your faces are blurry this morning. If I take them off, you're gone. <laughs> now, in the world, that's all I could do is look at things blurry. When I came to Christ, He gave me a Spirit of God and He put everything in focus. I have the ability not to see. Now in Christ, I have the ability to see and not sin, but I also have still the ability to take them off at any time and sin. Do you understand me? But I can't do it without excuse. 
Because I have the potential not to sin. Pastor Xavier Reese with a message of hope that as the battle of the sinful nature rages on, in Christ we're fighting on the winning side. Now today's study is simply titled, Suffering with Understanding. And as always, we can provide a copy upon request. And by the way, there's much more to this study than our limited time on the air just doesn't allow us to present. But we're happy to include on CD for just $4 to help cover the costs. The title to ask for once again is, Suffering with Understanding. Request yours today by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make a request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please help us by including the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. God is in the business of saving the lost, but our sufferings aren't lost on Him either. Pastor Xavier Reese has more simple truths on understanding suffering next time. Tell a friend. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com